Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Gone. They tried to do it about 17 times last under Trump. We're able to stop them. But folks, this is a different world. I don't know where they live. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not joking. That's why elections have consequences. That's why they matter. And that's why what we're doing here is so important. Not over. Do you have enough money to pay for everything you need? Well, Republicans do nothing to obstruct our efforts to lower your gas taxes. I propose that. I've asked the Congress to eliminate the federal gas tax for the next, as long as this crisis goes on. Lower food prices, lower health care costs. Hopefully soon, lower your prescription drug costs. By the way, you got a, you got a Republican leader in the United States Senate. I was able to work out something with Intel. They're going to provide. Three consecutive American presidents have enjoyed stints of explosive economic growth due to a boom in oil and natural gas production. As president, would you be willing to sacrifice some of that growth, even knowing potentially that it could displace thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of blue-collar workers in the interest of transitioning to that greener economy? The answer is yes. At $7.29 a gallon for a small car with a 12-gallon tank, it would cost you $87 to fill it all the way up. Number one, no more subsidies for fossil fuel industry. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. Ends. Gas prices are so high, the Isabella, Isabella County Sheriff's Office here says they've actually blown through their fuel budget already, so they will respond to some non-emergency calls by phone. I've never seen anything like Putin's tax on both food and gas. Power. It is noteworthy that the percentage of women who register to vote and cast a ballot is consistently higher than the percentage of the men who do so. End of quote. Repeat the line. Women are not without electoral and or political or, or maybe precise, not and or or political power. That's another saying that you, the women of America, can determine the outcome of this issue. I don't think the court or for that matter, the Republicans. Damn it. Who typed a question mark on the teleprompter for the last time? Anything you put on that prompter, he will read Arnold Q1. It is noteworthy that the percentage of women who register to vote and cast a ballot is consistently higher than the percentage of the men who do so. End of quote. Repeat the line. Ah! <gasps> what in the name? No! Oh, uh oh, I'm in trouble.
George Wallace. The Democrats step back and say, whoa, 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 that's too hot. You're being too divisive. Uh, and then turn around a few months later and say, he's not being forceful enough on the urgent uh, uh, threats to democracy uh, that we're facing. So he's, uh, he's damned if he does, uh, and he's damned uh, uh, if he doesn't. As I wrote in the piece, uh, the problem is not uh, Joe Biden. The problem is... In addition to the fact that Joe Biden could literally change the last initial of his first name to be Job Biden, given everything that's fallen <laughs> upon his shoulders, inflation, a global war, global inflation. But with regard to the left of the Democratic Party, how is it that the president of the United States, we're talking about the, the, the sad, the tragic news out of Japan, Abe being shot and killed, assassinated. How is it that a president of the United States who speaks quietly to world leaders around the globe, pulls them together in unifying, in a unifying aspect to c c uh, combat the uh, Russians in the war in Ukraine, gets very little credit for... Biden's about two years in. He's having some problems uh, economically with inflation that, of course, Again, I, I, I saw Colin today talking about inflation being uh, the, uh, Joe, Joe Biden's fault, which is, of course, hilarious considering Donald Trump had the, the biggest deficits, the biggest debt, the most bloated budgets uh, in American history. People feel a certain way right now, voters and Democrats. The, it, more than, I don't think there's ever been more of a right brain reaction to what's going on in the world, right? When you put together guns, when you put the insurrection, when you put together Roe v. Wade. And somehow, Biden has not been, even if the words are there, you can try to transcribe them and look at them, has not been able to translate the feelings that people are having, the combination of outrage. Hit the road more is one constant request from Democrats. Hit Republicans more is another. And yet, as the president did just that, hit the road and hit Republicans missing from his event, the Democratic candidate for Ohio governor, Nan Whaley, and the Democratic candidate for Senate, Tim Ryan, both cited scheduling conflicts. Our great reporters are back with us. Uh, I think we should get used to the term scheduling conflicts. Is that going to happen? I mean, you know, Democrats say, Mr. President, please do these things. He does them, and they're not there to cheer him on. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 9th of July, year of our Lord, 2022, episode 612. Ron Burgundy's our president. There's even one of him... Putting on a Medal of Honor backwards. They're saying it's doctored. But the problem is, he's so bad now, you pretty much believe it. I mean, you just believe it. And we're getting more and more of the feel sorry for Biden shit. I don't remember that for Trump. I, I just so let's go into our breaking news and I'm not going to cover the assassination of the XPM because um, you've had a full-fledged buttload of that um, but the amazing thing is how they covered it it's like the austere cleric again because he was friends with Trump and Trump liked him. We're going to put the butt. And then promptly, in media fashion, uh, turn it into a tool for the Democrats. And that's, of course, guns. Um, the fact is that uh, one thing did strike my, uh, get my attention, that 
This is the first use of a weapon to murder someone in, the, in Japan. And I think we have thus far have 3,000, I won't hold me to the number, 688 or, I mean, between three and 4,000 cases. They've won. Won. This morning, what we know about the motive and the investigation into how it happened in a country where gun violence is nearly unheard of. Well, with gun violence headlines front and center right here in the United States, we should point out incidents like this are extremely rare in Japan. There were only 10 reported gun incidents last year, and that left just one person dead. His death is profoundly shocking for Japan, a country where gun violence is almost non-existent. Abe passed away at four. 4.03 a.m. Eastern Time, profoundly rocking a country unaccustomed to gun violence. Gun violence is exceptionally rare in Japan. Its gun laws are among the most stringent in the world. Though some guns are allowed for hunting, very few people go through the process of getting one. A person needs to pass through 12 steps, including a gun safety class, a written exam, doctor sign-off, and an extensive background check to buy and own a firearm. For many, Abe's assassination was unthinkable. Gun violence is extremely rare in Japan, and the country has some of the strictest gun laws in the world. With 127 million people, Japan rarely sees more than 10. This is a country where yearly gun deaths typically number in the single digits. Abe was Japan's longest-serving prime minister when he left office in 2020 due to ill health. A polarizing figure, he was a right-wing nationalist and conservative, and a fierce supporter of Japan's military. He fought to amend the country's pacifist constitution in the face of the rising threat from China. While in office, Abe met former President Donald Trump several times to reaffirm Japan's military and trade alliances with the United States. His political opinions were controversial, but the country is united in shock and sympathy at the news of his death. Now, as for motive, the police say they don't really understand it yet, but apparently the gunman has said he did have a grudge against Abe, but surprisingly it wasn't political, it was personal. Interesting. Liz, let's go back to why this happened in the first place. You mentioned it's shocking. It's so stunning because the country has so little gun violence. I think in your piece you said single-digit deaths by guns every year. Given that fact, what's the response been when it comes to gun policy? Well, people take huge comfort in the fact that their gun laws are so strict and there's a big mental health test. There hasn't been an attack on a sitting national politician for more than 60 years, and that was by a sword. So this has just come out of the blue. And the fact that the gunman appears to have made the gun and maybe guns uh, at home has people feeling vulnerable and really shaken. Remember those days when going out just came down to figuring out if you wanted to deal with the hassle of being in public? Maybe the only kinds of questions you asked yourself were, do I feel like dealing with a crowd or looking for parking? I mean, you expect some headache. It's part of the price you pay to make the memories, I guess. But now millions of people are dealing with the reality that we have come to expect gun violence when we go out, or at least the potential for that gun violence. And frankly, it's affecting the way that people even live their lives, the choices they make. I can't lie, it factors into my decisions about where to take my own children. It's a struggle to not let the terror 
of it all win, to not have to revisit the plan that my husband and I had to lay out in case of an emergency. Which parent will take which child? What's the meeting spot in case we're separated? The agreement not to go back for one another and just get the kids to safety. Maybe the hope that our children will remember to run if we ourselves are hurt. All of this planning, all of this thoughts because of pervasive, frequent, unrelenting gun violence. I remember when I first took my kids to watch the fireworks and none of us parents were watching the fireworks as they were. We were watching our kids watch them just to try to see what the world looked like through their eyes. And now when we go out, our heads are on swivels, assessing the continuous threat that is as unpredictable as it is everywhere. And last night I watched my own kids watching the fireworks and they were naive to the fact that, well, places of worship and to some extent schools and grocery stores and theaters and now parades, they, they were no longer immune. And the great tragic irony of it all was that even on the day that we celebrated our nation's independence, the land of the free and the home of the brave, that was still not free from the terror of a mass shooting. And what's bursting in air only, only gives proof through the night that our national epidemic of gun violence is still very much here. And this, by the way, is with the new legislation. So what now? When will we feel that freedom? I want to bring in CNN political commentators, Paul Begala and Alice Stewart. And I have to tell you both, we've all had these conversations in the past as well, and we continue to have them about these ideas of how we live under this constant sword of Damocles. And, and Paul, I mean, listen to this. Look at this picture of a Lake County police officer. He's in Highland Park. He's holding his head in utter shock and despair. I mean, there have been 319 mass shootings just this year and 17 in the first four days of July. I mean, you're talking about a parade, bars, a hospital, a grocery store. I mean, the violence, as I've talked about. I just want to pull up the suspect's picture for a moment because these suspects, these violent young men are starting to look alike. This guy, I mean, from Columbine, through Sandy Hook, through Uvalde, now, now. Is it, is it too much to ask, Steve, when one of these guys comes into a gun store, is it too much to ask the gun seller to do a cursory check on social media? Because had he, there was, um, you know, a well of information on the violent ideation that this guy had. Well, the problem is that they're not really asked to and they're not really allowed to in some ways. The gatekeepers are the government, essentially. It is not the retail establishment. I like that analogy, Steve, because I used to be a waitress. And for a while, we were told to run up the alcohol tab on people, on customers who came in because you got them to pay more that way. Then the law changed and you couldn't serve somebody who you knew had been drinking because they were killing people on the highway. And so once yeah, you recognize... That's, that's a little I mean, different, though, I understand. Allison, None of these analogies are perfect, Furthermore, Commissioner, he also was able to purchase all, as we just learned in a press conference an hour ago, um, all of these weapons locally and legally 
using his own name. However, he purchased them at different places. Is there no such thing as a database where a gun seller can look to see if somebody's recently in the past day purchased an AR-15? Would that help, Commissioner? Well, it would help if there was some kind of database, but also where's the law that says you can't buy, uh, uh, you know, guns in different places? I mean, we, we need to really sit and think through what we want. What's the balance? I mean, uh, you know, Steve mentioned, you know, how much uh, intrusion do you really want from the government in terms of looking at your uh, at, at your Facebook page or, or what have you? I mean, where's the balance? And we've got to find the balance to, because... You know, there are a lot of people that have crazy stuff on the Internet, but they. It's so predictable. It's what they do. I mean, let you say something about a, like Trudeau when he dies. You know, we, we've covered it on the show when Reagan died, when this guy dies. It's just I mean, they're just garbage people. So during all this, we've had. A spout of more violence in our country, and this is going after Kavanaugh. He's been chased out of a building. They are paying people money to do this. Um, it, it's almost comedic if it wasn't so fucking dangerous that they're letting people do this and we're back into the get into their face make them pay um highland park you know we we skipped it it's gone because you know we had death to america and all that shit and this stuff but they're everywhere um a bunch of weirdos shut up to scream outside steakhouse where SCOTUS Justice they didn't like was having dinner. The restaurant responded by basically calling them a bunch of children, which was good for them. But when talked to about it, you know, they, they fuck it. Uh, people should be allowed to be, to be able to do that. In a restaurant. If it's outside of a restaurant, if it's peaceful, for sure. Really? Peaceful protests. We're, you were your first question so to me just, was so, intimidation so justices because and violence. protesters do not agree with an opinion that they signed on to have no right to privacy is what you're but saying Peter this is this is people have the right to, this is what a democracy is people, people have, have the right, right to of course people have a right to privacy but people also have a right uh, to be able to protest peacefully is that peacefully state? it's the, the intimidation and the violence that we condemn is, is could you imagine this happened to Sotomayor, Kagan, Kentonji Brown Jackson? I mean, could you imagine the uproar, the racism? And they've been doing this online. It's all okay on Twitter, paying people. While the badass are right, D.C. and his own neighbors gather outside Kavanaugh's home, the justice seemed to have snuck out for a swanky D.C. dinner. We got a trip, a tip from someone who spotted him around 740 DM us if you want us to join him. We sure can pull up a seat. We endorse BK Invisible Plan to target Senator Schumer, Dobb, Roe, abortion rights. See, we're bipartisan. It's now or never we're going to shut down the congressional baseball game. Now, we remember what happened to the 
congressional baseball game, right? We actually fucking killed people. But, you know, they're conservative, so we blame Trump. That's that's how that went down. Those that are familiar with the show, we did a great um, episode on that. It, it was okay. But they're just, they're, they're obsessed. AOC, poor guy. He left before a souffle because he decided half the country should risk death if death they have an atopic pregnancy within the wrong state lines. It's all very unfair to him. The least they could do is let him eat cake. Politico, clutching pearls today after a handful of unruly protests at Tartar Brett Kavanaugh. I will never understand the pearl clutching over these protests. Republicans send people to protest me all the time, sometimes drunk and belligerent. This is like the five-year-old kid. Yeah, no, they don't. Nobody cares about it unless it's a Republican in a restaurant. Can someone please explain the obsession? Because I sure don't. Atopic pregnancies aren't denied treatment because they aren't viable pregnancies as modern medicine can solve the problem of transplanting a fetus into the uterus. It is a lie, but it's all they have. And this kind of... I mean, let's, I'm just going to do the jerk off. Here, here's your row. Jesus, these people are, they're just obsessed with killing babies. I am a politic, the media jerk off of the week. patient comes into emergency room in any state in the union. She's expressing and experiencing life-threatening miscarriage. But the doctor is going to be so concerned about being criminalized for treating her, they delay treatment to call the hospital lawyer who is concerned the hospital will be penalized if the doctor provides a life-saving care. It's outrageous. I don't care what your position is. It's outrageous. And it's dangerous. That's why this executive order directs the Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, to ensure all patients, including pregnant women and girls, experiencing pregnancy loss, get emergency care they need under federal law, and the doctors have clear guidance on their own responsibilities and protections, no matter what the state, no matter what state they're in. Senator Warren also taking aim at pregnancy crisis centers. Here in Massachusetts, these so-called crisis pregnancy centers outnumber genuine abortion clinics by three to one. She says women walk into the centers believing they'll get abortions. Instead, they try to talk women out of it. She calls it a bait and switch. They are giving it over to people who wish them harm. And that has to stop. We need to put a stop to that in Massachusetts right now. Yet. Pro-life Americans want questions. Pro-life Americans want half questions too. All the questions you're taking are pro-abortion. So let me answer this question. Senator Marco Rubio is demanding the federal government not provide sick leave to federal employees who travel to get abortions. Should he said that would violate the Hyde Amendment? So Sir, take a seat in the back. You're being rude to your colleagues and our guests. Go ahead, Kate. I'm not listening to the press. I can stand right here and ask my questions. The president, please, please. I can ask my question. She doesn't want to answer. The president earlier today encouraged people to go out and vote in this. Significant actions. Michael? Does this administration Michael? respect the Hyde Amendment, ma'am? Simple question. Ahead, this is a Michael. real simple question. Do you respect the Hyde Amendment or no? You can answer that. 
Mike, go, go ahead. That question. Good. Sorry. So Many women use their phones and computers to track pregnancies and other sensitive health information. But since Roe v. Wade was overturned, many now fear that information could one day be used against them. Jake Ward has this report. Steph Black began using period tracking apps in high school. I'm meticulously tracking what's happening to me in my body. But when Roe v. Wade came under threat, social media exploded with warnings about them with women fearing their digital activity could be used against them. If I lived in a state where abortion was actively being criminalized, I would not use a period tracker. At least 1,300 women have been investigated, detained, or arrested for their pregnancy outcomes since 2006. And increasingly, phones provide the evidence. Pervy Patel, charged in 2015 with illegally taking abortion pills, had her text messages used in court. Prosecutors used Latisse Fisher's web searches for abortion pills to pursue charges against her after a late stillbirth in 2017. The case was later dropped. Now, privacy experts are worried about apps. People should secure their devices, secure their communications, and secure their browsing history. Many free apps sell information about their users to data brokers. Some companies are pivoting. The creators of Flow, who settled with the FTC in 2021 for allegedly sharing sensitive health data with marketers, have just announced an anonymous mode. But Steph Black now says she prefers an app called Yuki. It can track periods and sexual encounters and provides information on contraception and abortion without going to a browser. Yuki was originally built by a nonprofit for women in Indonesia where abortion has long been illegal. That is even more important now that we're seeing increased restrictions on abortion access in the United States. Yuki is built for the post-row world. Its data never leaves the phone and it has features to prevent anyone from coercing a user into granting access. One secret command seemingly breaks the app, for instance. You can just say, oh, the app must be crashing. And personal data about sexual partners, abortion medications, and doctor's visits can be erased with a tap or on a schedule should the unthinkable happen. This is very scary mm -hmm. data to, to just have on your phone. You wouldn't trust us anybody with this. I wouldn't. Back in April, even before the toppling of Roe, a Texas woman had been charged with murder for allegedly inducing her abortion. Prosecutors later acknowledged that there was no legal basis for the charges. But the case is a cautionary tale. Five years ago, a black mother of three from Mississippi experienced a stillbirth at roughly 36 weeks. She was jailed after police found that she had searched for abortion information on her phone. The Washington Post reports that her search history helped prosecutors charge her with, quote, killing her infant child. In El Salvador, women have been incarcerated for decades for not producing a live birth. Like Teodora del Carmen Vasquez, who ended up spending more than 10 years in prison for what she always insisted was a stillbirth. Americans must also confront such widespread human rights violations as a radical right devours bodily autonomy in this country, where the prosecution of women suspected of purposefully or accidentally ending a pregnancy could become standard practice. A question we must seriously mull over these days is, how long before an American woman is prosecuted for an abortion? And no, this isn't a dystopian storyline anymore, though we wish that it were. Today is a dark day in the fight. 
as the last abortion clinic in Mississippi has closed, the Jackson Women's Health Organization, nicknamed the Pink House for its bubblegum cover, covered, colored exterior, where protesters clashed in front of this essential, very valuable medical facility, which now serves as a symbol of what the women in Mississippi have lost. It's even worse than a woman prosecuted for a miscarriage at stillbirth. Death. In states with strict abortion laws, doctors may hesitate before offering essential life-saving measures. When a in an all-new season of United Shades of America, Kamau takes us on a journey around the United States, tackling everything from critical race theory to the Native American land back movement. Here's a preview. Right now, there's arguments about should we teach kids a more accurate history of America? Race uh -oh. theory? Um, What'd you say? Here we go. Race theory. Race theory. The race? Critical race theory. What are your thoughts on that? You can teach it without having an opinion. But is it okay if a teacher says, I think slavery was bad? Is that okay? No. 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 I'm, <laughs> no. no what about no. this? They go, Nazis not good. Nothing is bad. Nothing's bad. No. And if the latter is how you heard about it first, then I'm not surprised you're confused which is why I grind my teeth when I sleep. It's totally manipulation and manufacturing a crisis. Who's manufacturing it? The Democrats. It's always a race card. I get so sick of it. <laughs> we need to teach children to compete mm -hmm. when the Chinese probably know more about American history than we do. So we should teach better American history here? Well, yeah. It's like uh, the history of America. History of America. Slavery, genocide Native Americans. No, well, no. Not that stuff? Well, not the whole thing. This is why he grinds his teeth in his sleep. Joining us now is the host of United Shades of America, W. Kamau Bell. We should note, he's also the co-author of a new book, Do the Work, an anti-racist activity book. It comes out on July 19th. Kamau, grateful that you are with us. You're diving right in with this first episode. Uh, two concepts that have been uh, really distorted in political conversation, woke and critical race theory. Why does that keep you up at night? I mean, I'm kept up at night by a lot of things. I know, first of all, I know I'm competing with President Biden, so I just want to make sure people know where I stand <laughs> on a woman's right to choose right here. Well, make sure, okay, there we go, there we go, there we go. Uh, you know, this country is in crisis, and we are getting this. It is all predicated on a lie. The atopic pregnancies, you're going to go to jail, all the laws were based on... The provider, not the woman. And they know that, but just like don't say gay bills and all this other stuff. And then you have this. I mean, look at this. 50. But, you know, it's guns. It's Roe. That's all they care about. They don't care about the black-on-black -black crime. They didn't even cover a Richmond mass shooter that was literally stopped. So here's some violence, including a great clip of a bunch of black youth beating a man to death with a cone. A tragedy averted. Police in Richmond, Virginia, praise a hero citizen who called in a tip that saved lives. Today, officials in Richmond, Virginia, are claiming they narrowly averted their own Independence Day massacre. Authorities say the alleged plot was stopped by a concerned citizen who overheard a suspicious conversation and called police. These two men were allegedly caught with a high-powered assault rifle, a handgun, and more than 200 rounds of ammunition.
Those are important things. Crime is why people are buying guns and why it's a purple issue now. But you guys can't see that because you're in your bubble. You only know trannies, gay people, uh, your, your melting pot of progressivism and your wokeness and your virtue singling. And you can't see people just don't give a fuck about abortion. It, it, even if the polls come back and say they don't give a fuck, you're just so obsessed and you're not noticing the signs that the civilization is starting to go to shit and you're allowing it and now we're doing this now the rise of the far right latina because a lady flipped a blue district we had like 10 articles that mirrored cnn's which we covered white supremacy with the tan basically saying because she doesn't think like them she's a fucking white supremacist now, when she gets killed by one of their thugs, they won't, you know, take ownership. They won't say, oh, that's bad. We should watch our rhetoric. They'll blame guns. That's that's the game. We, we, we are in election mode. And I got it. You know, election mode, you guys get fired up. And you say stupid shit like this. Immigration enforcement is a federal authority uh, and states should not be mandating it, uh, meddling in it. Uh, that is just especially uh, Governor Tex the T Texas Governor of Abbott, who has a track record of causing chaos and confusion at the border. It is one of my favorite sound bites of all time. You motherfuckers had sanctuary cities and sanctuary states. You ignored federal law. You're letting immig immigrants in blue states vote. So now that it's an invasion and Texas is having serious problems and crime from it and fentanyl and all these things, excuse me, you have the gall to say that? Are you the future of Trumpism? Man, they are fucking scared because I think they're starting to realize their whole gambit for immigrants, which I forgot these, Th these are two good sound bites to show you the immigrants. Are you guys okay? Holy fucking shit. That was, um, that was something. Wow. Look at this. Look at this. What the fuck? There's another one. B fuck. Dude, that guy's right there. What is that? Fuck, dude. Some of this shit is stressing me out because you can't really tell what it is. I hit that car.
Yeah, that caravan's coming at us. That's that's coming. It's nonstop, and it, it will put us well over two million people that he's allowed in in two years. They're just ignoring laws, federal laws, local laws. They don't give a fuck. They do what they want to do. I got some bad slides in here. Let me try to get to the slides. That... <sighs> so a lot of the problems we have is that our media is linked to it. So here's an article. Why Liz Cheney's in a lot of trouble in Wyoming? This is CNN. And what does it say? It's because of racism. That's, of course, the reason why. It's not because of him. Why Biden's attack on energy are absolutely insane. And that's why I played in the upper. They're still trying to test run because it worked on Democrats, Putin's shit. But they're not letting us expand oil. They're just not. And it was found out that Biden's energy department in April announced the sale of 950,000 strategic petroleum reserve barrels to Sinopec, the trading arm of China Petrochemical Corporation. In 2015, a private equity firm, Hunter Biden co-founded, bought $1.7 billion stake in Sinopec marketing. And that, my friends, are why we gave some of what is supposed to be taking down our energy cost to the Chinese. So the big guy can get his 10%. But this sums up what's wrong with our press. 12 to 1 down. Are you surprised? They're not going to cover this. The European Parliament on Wednesday backed EU rules labeling investments in gas and nuclear power plants to climate-friendly, throwing out the attempts to block the law that exposed deep rifts between countries over how to fight climate change. The votes paved the way for the European Union proposal to pass into law unless 20 of the Bloc 27 member states decide to oppose the move. The new rules will add gas and nuclear power plants to the EU. Greta Thunberg, tomorrow the European Parliament will decide whether the fossil gas and nuclear will be considered sustainable in the EU taxonomy, but no amount of lobbyism and greenwashing will ever make it green. We desperately need real renewable energy, not false solutions. Prad Sheep Shakur, this shows that she doesn't really care about global warming. She, like many in the green movement, it's a religion, not a science. How dare you? But they woke up. They woke up and they realized it ain't going to work. John Hayward. Look what's happening to the Dutch farmers. Understand climate cult and great resetters of shorter, poorer, more miserable, and more primitive lives in mind for you. They fetishize pre-industrial culture, and they think that you, but not them, should live that way. From the political standpoint, poor and hungry people are easy to control. They don't own capital, so they have no stake in the economic freedom. They can easily be made more dependent on government handouts. Their sense of jealousy for those who have more is sharpened and weaponized. From an ideological perspective, understand that climate cultists and elite socialists firmly believe the world is overpopulated. They do intend to fix that with demographic death spirals, abortion extremism, and simply making life shorter for the little people. 
And we've seen constantly over the years, the elites do not intend these nastier, more brutish, poorer, and shorter lives for themselves. They will have abundant food and energy, reliable transportation, luxuries and convenience. They soar above you in a carbon-spewing jet. When you see some climate cult fantasy that seems absurdly unworkable, you should realize that some of them know it's unworkable. They expect the system they would impose upon the rest of us to fail. Once trillions of dollars are spent, there's no way for us to turn back. Example, engineers keep pointing out that our power grids cannot handle mass adoption of electric cars, especially since the climate cult refuses to lift its fatwa against nuclear power. Mass charging stations will never be practical. There are too many jobs they can't do. There's a video of people waiting for an hour to charge their cars in California. An hour. The higher echelon of the green movement know that some of their followers are dewy-eyed dreamers, but the leaders have enough practical knowledge and input from corporate partners to know the world world they're seizing trillions of dollars to foist upon us is unworkable. They're deliberately engineering a world where you deplorables will have less energy, mobility, ability to pursue opportunities they find distasteful. They don't like you voting with your feet or making central planners look bad with your entrepreneurial spirit. When you mix reliable transportation and cheap energy with human labor, the result is labor becoming far more valuable. The mobile worker has options. He can choose from more jobs or easily start his own business. Employer or Employers, likewise, benefit from mobile workforce and customers. You know what happens when labor becomes more valuable, more in demand, more easily sold? Workers begin to correctly view their labor as capital. This is a hideous misfortune for central planners and socialists. They hate it when prosperous nations become investor societies, when the poor can swarm up those ladders to the middle class. They hate the rabble going wherever they please, whenever they want. That is why the left deliberately and relentlessly attacks every pillar of the invested society. It's no coincidence that Joe Biden all-out war on the middle class began with nuking the American energy industry. His handlers want you moving less, doing less, owning less and he goes on and on and he's spot on this is their plan this is why they leaked the green new deal they're still gonna have their shit you're not because you think they're gonna give up their lifestyle not happening not happening it's not gonna happen not in our lifetime I'll get to this in a second. To the abortion stuff that I missed, because this is a fucked up show that I threw together really quick because I'm feeling like shit because I've had to remove all my stomach medicine because the operation's Monday, so I just want to vomit. Just want to vomit. He signed an executive order that basically started having him not letting states track people. Like, they track people. It isn't going to affect anything. Google caves the leftist pressures will delete abortion clinic patient location data. I don't know why they're doing this. Teen Vogue simultaneously did an article. This is how you can still get your abortion. Salon claims abortion waiting periods will kill people once again, which is not true. NPR puts on a leftist who thinks pro-life sides shouldn't be able to get on TV. Should not be able to get in the press, shouldn't be on social media, should be taken away. That's what they want to do. Because that's how they roll. I mean, that's the whole thing. We get into uh, New York Times. 
New York Times doing opposition research on conservative radio and doing hate articles about how they're disinformation. Disinformation was very big this week. They did a huge article. Jackowitz continues to claim New York Times story with a feature photo of her and three quotes from her that is about her and that is a defense of her and is an attack on her critics. It's not actually about her. She's just the news peg, you see. Unfortunately, Nina doesn't have a dictionary. And they did huge articles with her. It's about disinformation and we must stop the spreading. But yet over and over and you can go to Jerry Dunleave, everything she spreads is wrong. The article was called Disinformation has become another untouchable problem in Washington, and she's the picture. Misinfo experts warn that talk radio channels, many of which air political commentary 24 hours a day, receive far too little scrutiny and need to be shut down. Because once again, they're fucking scared. They're really scared that people are going to think for themselves. To show our media is so entrained with the left... Look at the difference. AOC emerges as a political star. The rise of the far-right Latina. But that's not racist. It's not sexist. There's nothing wrong with it. Times anecdotal evidence to prove that Dobbs will take away access to cancer and autoimmune drugs. No truth. No truth at all. They just, they just make the shit up. This week, there are 150-plus transactions that are questionable from China to Hunter Biden. The FEC will not release that data because Democrats won't ask for it. That's how they're protecting him now. 150 transactions. If his name wasn't Biden, he'd be in jail. He'd be in jail. Ex-Facebook engineer Ian Hawthorne. The biggest mistake critics of big tech make is assuming that they are pulling the strings when it comes from fact-checking. In reality, this is all about avoiding responsibility and political blowback. I explain how in Free Beacon. It took a matter of hours for Facebook to suppress Free Beacon report on the Biden admin funding crack pipes, former Facebook engineer says. Lead Stories, a prominent member of the Facebook third-party fact-checking program, concluded the Free Beacon report was not true. But he proves in this article they're just doing it to suppress conservative stories. That's how they do it. They get away with it because nobody stops them. So here's a load of misinformation, inappropriate media sound bites. MSNBC laments Biden getting pressured. CNN suffers blooper, wonders if Biden is too nice. MSNBC stripes slimes Fox coverage of shooting. Nets bury Biden selling oil to Chinese. Despite no evidence, MSNBC pushes Trump-ordered audits that are coming up with this Biden stuff. Single biggest media fraud, Fox News, slimes coverage of Hunter scandal, and then CNN argues recession proclamations are racist. And they got to keep doing that for the midterm. So what are the chances of two Trump foes getting audited by the IRS? 
Well, it's about one in 82 million, according to a New York Times calculation. That's exactly what happened to former FBI director James Comey and his deputy who replaced him when Comey was fired, Andrew McCabe, until McCabe was fired by Donald Trump because he was the acting FBI director for a few months. Both were fired, of course, by Trump during the Russia investigation into the 2016 campaign. Comey and his wife's audit started in November of 2019, costing them nearly $5,000 in accountant fees. Comey at one point had to send the IRS the family's Christmas card to prove how many children he had as dependents. McCabe's audit began in October of 2021, months after Trump left office. The statistics tell you that this is highly, highly unusual. The statistics don't tell you that it's improper, right? I mean, Michael Steele could win the lottery. Um, it's extremely unlikely that he'll do that. He could also win the lottery twice. That's an infinitesimally small uh, chance. But winning it twice has happened, and it's statistically possible. So the only real answer I think I have right now is highly unusual statistically and mathematically, and we should turn it over to the uh, Treasury Inspector General and let that person figure it out. We don't know. Uh, right now, it would be conjecture. Yeah, I think, look, you know, uh, Chuck is right that there's no evidence in the story that Mike uh, Schmidt was able to publish that suggests definitively that this was done as an act of retaliation. I think there are two separate issues, Erica. One is his pedigree. Uh, you know, he is someone who was elected to the Senate in 1972. He is shaped by Washington and was clubbier and more cooperative. His first instinct is always to uphold the old rules, whether that's the filibuster or not criticizing the Supreme Court uh, too harshly. Um, he eventually gets to where the party is, but he always seems to be behind. But there's a second issue, and it's, it, it, it's exemplified by today. Well, well, Laura, on these issues, not just abortion, but, but gun rights and even the decision on, on climate, right? I mean, th these were the result, as, as, as Isaac and I were saying, of a, of a many years, even decades-long effort by, by Republicans and conservatives to, to get influence on the court uh, to overturn past decisions and, and create new precedents here. I mean, is there an understanding, you know, inside the party that that's, that's what's required on the flip side, that there's no executive order the president can issue today that, that turns that around. Definitely, Jim. I mean, the party members understand that anything that President Biden ultimately does via executive action is not going to reverse uh, what the Supreme Court just did on Roe v. Wade, what they've done on guns, but they they understand that. But what they're saying is that the president, you know, to Ron's point, needs to battle on the same playing field as this Republican Party, mm -hmm. which it may not mean that he's able to get any Supreme Court justices on the court anytime soon, other than the recent historic one of Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson, but that he looks for creative ways. Nurse Mariam Sabo knows a moment this pure demands a lotion this pure. New Gold Bond Pure Moisture Lotion, 24-hour hydration. No. Surprised by the fact that the White House didn't issue even, uh, you know, low-hanging fruit executive actions on the day that the Roe decision came down. But also, you know, they're trying to tell the White House that ultimately anything they do is going to be challenged by Republican states and in the courts. Mm -hmm. You know, we saw that with the eviction moratorium, which the White House still ultimately moved forward to, to decide to extend that. And so they're just saying, just try it 
and see what happens and see uh, what where ultimately the courts. Much. And I've been hearing from Democrats the last 24 hours who want to hear more fire from this president about guns, about abortion rights, to really be out there and sort of try to connect with the anger in his party. People you've talked to there today, is there any chance we're going to hear from that from the president? Yeah, it's it's really unclear because you're right, Jonathan, all of the people that are outside of the administration who um, work on these issues from abortion to climate change to gun safety, pick your you know Democrat constituency group to civil rights to voting rights. They want to see a, a president of the United States, their president, the guy they put in office, be more forceful. And we've seen that at times. And we've talked about this. You know, he something will happen that's very shocking when it comes to um, you know, the Dobbs decision last week, for example, and you will see the president talk about that. But they want it to be continuous. They want to see the president be angry continuously because they want that anger that they're feeling reflected back to them. And when we talk to folks here, they know that. They know that the president knows that and it happens from time to time. The question is about the consistency. Why, um, when there's, you know, something that happens that shakes the American public, they want to, Democrats want to see a fighter. And that is something that Joe Biden, you know, in all of the years of, of everybody covering him, his 36 years in the Senate, eight years as vice president, he can get fired. We've seen that happen before. But what they have taken, the tone they've taken, is one of a president who continues to be the consoler in chief and at times shows anger. But he is also someone who came into the White House saying that he wants to heal the nation, talking about saving the soul of the country. And so there's a ritual that has set in on the right in the wake of the horrifying and regular spectacle of mass gun violence. In the aftermath, Republicans and right-wing media have a series of decisions to make about what to do to take its attention away from the most obvious source of the problem, a country with more guns per capita than any on Earth and the killing machine that fired the bullets. And they are always, I have to give them credit, up for the challenge. Ah, yes, it's the nagging women to blame. All that is ridiculous, of course. They blame just about everything on Earth except the guy's easy access to a gun. But maybe it is understandable that Fox News, and especially Tucker Carlson, will want to distract from the issue. You may recall it was just a month ago that a mass murderer at a Buffalo grocery store was literally spewing Tucker Carlson's racist replacement theory before he went and killed 10 people. So all sorts of things contribute to the radicalization of these young men. The common thread is that every one of them was able to legally purchase an assault rifle and use it to mow down innocent men, women, and children. Journalist Aaron Rupar has been tracking Fox News in his Substack newsletter, Public Notice, and he joins me now. Um, Aaron, it's, it's always striking to me, well, there's two, two things. One is, there are some stories that, that, that right-wing media will just ignore, and then there's some that they will spin. And they don't seem to ignore mass shootings. And I'm curious what, what your sort of research says about, you know, the degree to which they address it and why this is something they don't just try to, like, pretend isn't happening. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, Chris. And you're right that last night Fox News did not ignore the shooting, although in the moments leading up to me joining you, I was actually watching close tonight to their primetime lineup to see how, if at all, they talked about the shooting and through about the halfway point of Tucker Carlson's show, it had not been mentioned once across both Jesse Waters' show and then Tucker's following it. So um, last night, of course, you know, as, as your montage there depicted, there was a lot of talk about the shooting. But instead of talking about guns, uh, you know, we had uh, in one hour, we had Tucker Carlson talking about how basically nagging women are to blame for shootings of this sort. And then two hours later, we had Laura Ingram talking about 
marijuana use, despite, you know, the idea that marijuana use leads to violent crime being widely debunked. And so it seems like they're interested in engaging with these stories to the extent that it can kind of confirm their priors. And of course, one of the bedrock assumptions on the right at this point, at least, you know, a section of the right, is that guns are never the problem, uh, that the problem is anything but guns, and that can never really acknowledge that guns might be a problem because that's a concession to libs that just will not be made. So, Yes, you're right that, you know, this was not a story that Fox ignored. I think it'd be kind of impossible to pretend to be a news channel and ignore a story like this that obviously had the nation's attention um, over the holiday weekend. But, you know, again, notably tonight, it seemed like if they get shellacked in the midterms and Biden refuses to announce that he's not running again, are we going to see a ton of reporting on these suspicious Activity reports, a ton of reporting on the wa on the on the laptop in in order to kind of like give Biden the hint it's time to go, buddy, or else we're gonna drop the hammer. I mean, it's hard to say for sure, but what we know obviously is that the media deploys information to conceal it or divulge it for the interests of their sources inside the Democratic Party and the U.S. security state. And I just want to emphasize, because I can't talk about the Hunter Biden situation without doing so, that this was the topic of the single biggest media fraud in the last, I think, at least decade, which is right before the election. The CIA spread to the media, which repeated it, and then big tech censored on the basis of it, the lie that all of these documents were Russian disinformation. Biden wins the election because they suppressed that story. Then all of a sudden, they want to start doing reporting on Biden as he's getting weak. And all of these documents start emerging and the Washington Post and New York Times come out and say, oh, now we're able to confirm their authenticity. So what you see, as cynical as your suggestion might be, that the media has already been playing these kinds of very extreme games with exactly this case for those kinds of motives. Is it too big now? I mean, you have Yellen involved, the Treasury Secretary. I mean, come on, poor little Yellen is now involved in the cover-up. The CIA, as you said, was involved before the election. The federal prosecutors have to know what they're dealing with. They have 150 suspicious activity transactions. You have a laptop. It's a gold mine. You have diamonds being bribed. You have $6 million from the Chinese. The guy's under a FISA surveillance wire that gets indicted and arrested. I mean... And they dragged Joe across the finish line, covered it up. I mean, this thing is so big involving Silicon Valley, the FBI, the CIA, big media. I mean, how? And more importantly, yesterday was the one year anniversary <clears throat> of this. Is a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. Because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world, and an air force against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. Mr. President, thank you very much. Your own intelligence community has assessed that the Afghan government will likely collapse. That is not true. Is it, can you please clarify what they have told you about whether that will happen or not? That is not true. They, so, did, not, they didn't, did not reach that conclusion. So what is the level of confidence that they have that it will not collapse? The Afghan government and leadership has to come together. They clearly have the capacity 
to sustain the government in place. And do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling... None whatsoever. Zero. What you had is you had entire brigades breaking through the gates of our embassy. Six, if I'm not mistaken. The Taliban is not the, South, the North Vietnamese Army. They're not, they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of an embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. It is not at all comparable. So the question now is, where do they go from here? That, the jury is still out. But the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. We impeached a president over that. That's what they impeached Trump for. Trying to stop or get information in Ukraine. Telling a foreign leader what to do. He's on record saying he stopped them from getting stuff. On record. Threatening them over his son. And then telling the Prime Minister of Afghanistan, don't say anything. Lie. It's on we heard it. It was played. And then it fell and 13 soldiers got killed, or 13 Marines. So here's some fun sound bites. Uh, Laura Ingram about messing and two Tuckers. One about impeaching, which I think I think some important to be heard because people need to start thinking about it because he deserves to be impeached in an interview he did with the guy who was trying to burn him and it i'm putting this all under lighter fare Now, given the dire state of where the Democrats are today, and of course, Biden in the White House, the knives are predictably out. But consider our surprise when Biden's go-to stenographer, CNN's Isaac Edward Dover, published a piece headed, headlined, Democrats wonder whether Biden White House is capable of urgency moment demands. Hmm. But things didn't get really good until we read the lead of the piece. All right, dramatic music, please. Deborah Messing was fed up. The former Will and Grace star was among dozens of celebrity Democratic supporters and activists who joined a call with White House aides last Monday to discuss the Supreme Court overturning Roe. The mood was fatalistic. Messing said she'd gotten Joe Biden elected and wanted to know why she was being asked to do anything at all, yelling that there didn't even seem to be a point to voting. Ladies and gentlemen, that's your White House and their chief Hollywood activists at work. All right, here now, Charlie Hurd, Fox News contributor, Stephen Miller, founder of America First Legal. Charlie, when you've lost Deborah Messing, you've kind of just <laughs> gotten to the end. <laughs> this was the most unbelievable lead. We were howling, laughing on our call today. Uh, your reaction to the knives officially being out, Charlie? No, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable, and it's an important marker to remember. 
especially when you, the entire administration and the entire Democratic campaign at this point now seems to be, look, we support abortion at any point up to the ninth month and maybe beyond, whatever. That's their entire campaign because they can't campaign on anything else. Tucker, wow. Nice closet. Um, and and, and Smith, ladies and gentlemen. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you agreed to join us. Um, Someone just texted me and said you were pretty tough with Taylor Lorenz, which I was heartened to hear, but it's easy to hurt her feelings. So I hope you'll check I'm, your I'm privilege. Just, I'm just me. hoping you'll, you'll let me ask questions and not steamroll me because you're, you're a professional and I'm not. Um, you're the tough one, Ben. Uh, but, but I have been watching your show a lot, and, and, and you, you spend a lot of time laughing about labels that are thrown at you. Racist, white supremacist, the most uh, host of the most racist show in the history of cable television. And actually, I'd rather not ask you about the labels, but sort of give you an opportunity to talk about what you believe. Um, and, and to begin with, you know, do you believe white people are superior to other races? No, of course not. And the funny thing is, that's you know, let, one let, of those. Let me. Let I me. Let me. Of, I let me just stop on the yes/no question there, and just to, to put it a little differently before you respond, which wait, is: no, no, actually, Do you think, that, do you think that white people have I, more I of a claim on America? Superior in any way. Do you think that no, white people I'm, have I'm some a, claim on America that people of other races of don't? Of course not. I mean, first of all, I'm a Christian, so I think God made everybody, and therefore everyone has equal value in His eyes. That's the essential value of every person is the same. But the idea that I harbor some sort of deep racial animus is like, I mean, I, I think there are a lot of criticisms you could level at me. I think sometimes I overstate the case, I get pissed, I can be very nasty. You've been on the receiving end of that. I know you can vouch for that. But the idea that I'm, a, you know, that I, I mean, if, if you were to look at my texts or listen to my personal conversations or read my mind, you would find no instance where I'm like, I'm mad at black people. 100% of the people that I'm mad at are well-educated white liberals. In my mind, the sort of archetype of the person I don't like is like a 38-year-old female white lawyer with a barren personal life. That's yeah, who yells at me on airplanes. Before, and so I always think people are like, you're racist. Okay, let me, let me, no, before, okay, let, let, let me. <laughs> Let me let me You're show horrible. you. Let me guess. Let me show you. I think why people react this way. I think we, we have a clip. I just wanted to show you. Can you, okay. Sydney? Can you play that? In political terms, this policy is called the Great Replacement, the replacement of legacy Americans with more obedient people from faraway countries. So, so Tucker, what's what's a legacy American? People who were born here. Black people, white people, Hispanic people, Asian people, people who are citizens, people who participated, hold on, generationally in our system. And a lot of them don't buy the program of the modern Democratic Party because it doesn't serve them. And so the center of the Democratic electoral strategy going forward, I'm not guessing, I, they talk about it constantly. You're a journalist, you must have noticed is to bring in new people who will vote for them. Now, that, do, do, you, do you think... If, let, me, looking, let me just finish, if you don't mind. This is not something that I made up or found on the Internet. I don't even really go on the Internet. This is something that Democrats, including you know, the architect of Obama's last victory, 
have talked about at great lengths in pieces, monographs, on television. They've written books about. The, um, so this is not like some crackpot Alex you Jones. Think when you talk this about is the central how, how strategy many, of the Democratic Party. So to be like, I can't how many, you um, that. I'm going to back to that. You talked about generational inve- investment. How, how many generations makes you a legacy? Oh, I de- I'm just saying people who live here now, including do, do immigrants. See, do you have oh, any, do you have any empathy? Do you have any empathy for what? somebody who sees that clip, somebody who's, you know, grand, whose parents are from India, from China, who are Jewish, and say, wow, I don't think, I, I, like, I, listen, I just see that clip. And I don't India really think this China guy includes Jewish? me in his vision no, no, of America. Slow no, no. so, so, so down. Okay. Uh, no, I, I don't have... Any, as you said, empathy for people who... Do you understand why they might think that? Please let me, if if you don't mind, if I could finish. I have no empathy for people who derive their judgments about anything from 30-second clips on Media Matters. I do an hour live every single night. If you want to know what I think, I don't know that there's anyone who's more transparent about it than I am. Not all of my views are correct. Not all of them are attractive. You may laugh at some of them. You may be offended by others. But I'm very clear about what I think. I believe that people are not the sum total of their genetics. I see that constantly, and as a Christian, I really mean it. I actually buy the kind of Dr. Seuss, please, version of race understanding, which is judge a person by what he does, not by how he looks. I actually believe that. I grew up in Southern California in the 70s, and I say it constantly. You do, but yet yet somehow, Tucker, like, and I guess the thing, you know, you have have an hour every night, as you said. Let let me, I want to move on to some other questions. Okay, don't filibuster me. <laughs> um, the but but you know you are misunderstood perhaps in your view a lot then both by as you said kind of the New York Times but also but also you keep having you know, sort of explicit white supremacists who have you know on secret message boards who work for you and you have to I know this has been very painful I've for you in some cases I've never this, even met a white supremacist you have what these folks you have folks who have posted Wait, you have a so, large so, number so, so of people Wait, Scott Greer on, Blake Neff. I'm just curious why this you've been not, sort of flypaper for these people on your staff. You're not asking me a question. That was the question. Why have you been flypaper for breath, these racists? I've never had a white supremacist work for me. I don't think I've ever talked to a white supremacist. I'm, uh, please, let me finish. And I don't want to fight I'm about sure labels. I'm, hold on, slow down. I'm not sure what that means. I know that it's a slur. It's the worst thing one can be. I, I don't really understand the terms, but let me just say... You had to let people go who me, said objectionable stuff. Sentence. Whoa, now, Ben. I believe that people are not defined by their race, any race, black, white, Asian, pick, pick a race. People are defined, their value derives from, A, the fact they were created by God. I believe that. Maybe you don't. I do. And B, by what they do, by the choices they make, by who they are. They have agency. They're not you know, part of some larger group. They're individuals. I believe in the individual. And I say that virtually every night. Now, if you don't hear that, or if you, for whatever reason, want to claim that I'm some racist, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say to you. I'm, I'm stating my sincere views as reflected in my personal life and my professional life as clearly as I can. Do, do you feel that in, just in, in your own career, you've been kind of discriminated against as a white Protestant? No, no. And I, I ask in I, I part because I, I had been told that, that Roger Ailes, and that you'd sort of at some point expressed that Roger Ailes, the former head of Fox, had a preference for Irish Catholics, and that it kind of held you back. <laughs> Was that... I think I've been held back. And by the way, I can say this sincerely, if I could, that I've never in my life been unhappy except because of self-pity. Self-pity is, I'm speaking for myself, but I think it's true for most people. 
self-pity is the root of misery. And so I really try not to feel self-pity. I have no grounds for it anyway. I've had a, I've had a wonderful life. I have an unusually happy family. I live where I want. I say what I want. You know, I'm blessed, unlike a lot of journalists who are leading miserable lives. So but I don't feel sorry for myself. I don't feel I've been discriminated against. But I do believe in fairness, and I don't think you should ever hire someone on the basis of his race or sex. That's grotesque to me. It's a violation of the basic promise of the country, which is we're going to bring people from around the world who may look different, be from different backgrounds, but we're going to treat them all the same, which is to say specifically on the basis of their ability and their virtue, on the choices they make, not on the genes they have. That's Nazi shit. I'm against that. I'm serious. Let, let me ask you about a different subject, which is January 6th. And I think... Oh, no, I, I, I kind of like this stuff. You're not responding to me. <laughs> no, I'm, so I'm not sound, responding oh, to you. I'm, I'm interviewing you. you does that sound racist to you? You just suggested I'm a white supremacist. You know, that, I yeah, I, I, like, I, yeah, I found that clip disturbing. I think the, you know, the, it, the, the, the language just, of replacement theory, clip, which you've popularized, clip, the language clip. of replacement theory is like specifically the language used by, by neo-Nazis to recruit people is, to their cause. It has been, obviously, I'm not suggesting some straight line between words and actions, but it is the f- phrase I'm that has been used by mass shooters. I wonder if you don't have any so compunction or regret no about popularizing believes. that? This is why you are considered correctly a propagandist and not a journalist, because I just explained in detail, with total sincerity, what I believe. You ignored it and invoked mass shooters. So that's not what you I just asked did. you how you felt about it. Let's. I actually do want to ask well, about something. I'd, totally I'd like to ask about. I'd like to ask about something that actually I think we probably this have is more common how ground. How ridiculous on. you are, and I think it's evident to any fair person watching. I'm. I guess I'm trying to give you an opportunity to respond to things that have been said and written about you, but let's move to something. But I'm really not looking to have a. Does this sound like racist ideology? And you're like, I'm disturbed by the Media Matters clip for eight seconds. Like, um, are you being serious? In late March, in an act of desperation, Biden did maybe the worst thing that he has done since becoming president, and that's saying a lot. He started to sell off one of this country's most important natural resources, one of our most valuable assets. It's called the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, the SPR. It's controlled by the Department of Energy. So what Biden could have done is produce more oil domestically. But that would have been too easy and too good for the United States and its long-term interests. Instead, he decided to do something so crazy and so dangerous that only someone who was intentionally trying to harm the United States would even consider it. But most people never even noticed. Here was his announcement, in case you missed it. Today, I want to talk about one aspect of Putin's war that affects and has real effects on the American people. Putin's price hike that Americans and our allies are feeling at the pump. I know how much it hurts. Our prices are rising because of Putin's action. There isn't enough supply. And the bottom line is, if we want lower gas prices, we need to have a more oil supply right now. Today, I'm authorizing the release of one million barrels per day for the next six months, over 180 million barrels for the strategic from the from the strategic petroleum reserve. This is a wartime bridge to increase oil supply until production ramps up later this year. And it is by far the largest release of our net of our national reserve in our history. So you watch that and you realize really the whole point of the Joe Biden presidency is to humiliate the rest of us and think less of our own country, the place where we were born. 
You can just imagine Barack Obama and Susan Rice and Ron Klain, people who truly dislike the United States as currently constituted, saying, let's make this guy president. That'll grind it in their face, a guy who can barely talk. So it's hard to hear anything Joe Biden says because it's hard for him to say anything. But if you listen carefully or read a transcript, you will learn what he just said is that we're releasing a million barrels per day for a total of more than 180 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which is held in caverns in a couple of states. How much is that? It's a staggering figure. So let's put it in context. The reserve can hold more than 700 million barrels total, but it didn't have that because Congress, by the way, as you haven't been paying attention, has been selling off our Strategic Petroleum Reserve to pay off debt. So by the time Joe Biden arrived, there was far less than that. There was about 568 million barrels of oil in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Now, no president in American history has ordered a drawdown this large. In 1991, at the beginning of Operation Desert Storm, which was an actual war with real American soldiers involved, the U.S. government released 17 million barrels of oil as a way of assuring a stable supply of global crude. The U.S. released just 20 million barrels after Hurricane Katrina destroyed parts of the Gulf Coast where so many refineries are. But now we're releasing many times that figure from the reserve, all to protect the Democratic Party from getting what it deserves in the midterm elections in November. And as a result of that unbelievably reckless, in fact, criminal decision, our strategic oil reserves are now at their lowest level in nearly 40 years, and they are dropping fast. Again, none of this needed to happen. There was no reason to tap our strategic petroleum reserve when we could produce the energy here. And we're, in fact, producing it until Joe Biden took office. But at the same time, you have to be honest, principles of supply and demand would suggest that this would work in the short term. Releasing all this oil should have lowered gas prices until the reserve ran out, which it will. So you inject more petroleum into the market and prices for gas should drop. But here's the amazing thing. That's not happening. Since Joe Biden started releasing all this oil from our reserves, which he does not own, you do, we do. What has happened to gas prices? They haven't dropped. They've kept going up. Huh? In mid-June, the price of both regular unleaded and diesel, critically, hit all-time highs, well over five bucks a gallon nationally. How could this be? It really was a mystery. It violated the most basic rules of economics. But now, thanks to a new report in Reuters, we know why. It turns out the oil being released isn't for us. It's going to India and China. According to Reuters, and we're quoting, more than 5 million barrels of oil that were part of a historic U.S. emergency reserve release to lower domestic fuel prices were exported to Europe and Asia last month. The piece continues, quote, cargoes of SPR crude, oil from our reserves, were also headed to the Netherlands and to a Reliance refinery in India, an industry source said. A third cargo, buckle your seatbelt, headed to China. To China. So as gas prices set records in this country, as American citizens who are born here and vote and pay taxes cannot afford to fuel their own cars, the Biden administration is selling off our emergency oil reserves to China. That's not an indictable offense. It's certainly an impeachable one. And they should impeach him for that. Well, they're going to sell the redwood forest to China next. How about the water rights to the Great Lakes? That's the equivalent of what he just did. Now, if you're keeping track, they didn't even need it. 
China and India already have access to very cheap oil from Russia. Why? Thanks to the Biden administration's lunatic ban on Russian oil imports. For moral reasons, it was a moral victory. The people of Ukraine, remember that? Zelensky. He was George Washington, said George W. Bush. You wouldn't know George Washington if he got in the shower with him. According to customs data, China spent $19 billion on Russia oil, gas, and coal earlier this year. That's double the amount they spent over the same period last year. India spent $5 billion on Russian oil. That's up five times from what they spent a year ago. So we just made Russia a ton of money. That's why the ruble is so strong as the dollar is getting weaker. Russia has raked in $13 billion in additional revenue from India and China compared to the same period last year. Following all this? This is how we're punishing our enemies? By selling off our own most valuable assets and watching Russia and India and, my God, China get richer? Now, on top of all of that cheap Russian oil, China is getting petroleum from our emergency petroleum reserves. The crude, by the way, in the SPR is the best crude that we have. It's called medium sour crude. It's the easiest to process. And we're giving it away to a government whose whole goal is to displace us on the global stage and crush us. The Chinese will be cruel masters when they run the world. They're not like us at all. By the way, that country, China, also happens to be a longtime business partner of the Biden family. Now, a functioning Congress would investigate this immediately. The last president was impeached for, for what? Having a phone call with some corrupt Ukrainian politician? <laughs> but no, they can't be bothered. They're still yelping about January 6th. It was an insurrection. They're trying to ban your hunting rifle. So the White House is able to ignore the whole thing. Here's Joe Biden's glass ceiling breaking publicist just yesterday. There's a Reuters report um, out this morning that says that more than 5 million barrels of oil that were released from the emergency oil reserves were exported to Europe and Asia last month. And some of it reportedly was actually heading to China. Uh, is the administration aware of those reports? And um, does, it, does the president mind that some of this oil that was meant to uh, ease pain for consumers is headed overseas? I have not seen that report, so I would honestly have to go look into it and see what what the truth is in that in that uh, statement that you just laid out and see exactly what's happening. I, I just have not seen that report. How can someone that dumb be that arrogant? Or is there actually a connection between dumbness and arrogance? Probably so. But if someone asks you in the White House briefing, oh, by the way, is the U.S. government selling our strategic petroleum reserve to our main enemy in the middle of a gas shortage? You probably should have an answer or at least seem embarrassed that you don't. It's a very simple question. Why does customs data show that we are sending millions of barrels of oil to China? Huh? It's been 24 hours since that briefing. We still don't have an answer. And of course, that tells you what's really going on here. This is not a mistake. It's intentional. And before we do a short trans abuse segment, I wanted to play something amazing happened. And if you notice, we have a lot of CBS. CBS really coddles the left. CBS covers for Biden. CBS is playing the row card and climate change. brings tranny kids on. But this aired this week. Based on our investigative unit's reporting, the U.S. attorney in Delaware has been probing a number of issues. They include tax fraud, tax evasion, money laundering, as well as whether Hunter James Biden and their business associates complied with foreign lobbying laws. What I can also tell you based on our reporting is that there's a lot of noise and, and static in the system. Based on my experience, that can be an indicator of conversations and discussions between the two parties on whether they can reach 
reach some kind of plea agreement. Heritage pressured them to air it, and they finally aired it. So maybe there is hope. This could be also part of the whole, we got to get rid of Biden shit, so who the fuck knows. So here's a short trans abuse. Got some choice cuts in here. We'll talk about it real quick. And then we'll kick this pig. Sorry for a small one, but man, I feel like garbage. Hey, Blue, look at all these families. Hi, families. It's time for a pride parade. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two mommies. They love each other so proudly. And they all go marching in the big I put my arm around, show me how strong I am. I put my arm around, I'll show you that I am. I'm unstoppable. Me telling my okay, students, my XBF texted me. Are you ready? So there I was minding my own business, and guess who texted me last night? My my ex boyfriend. He said, he said, I wish I, I, every single night I wish that I could text you, but I just don't frowny face. He's definitely sus for sure. I didn't, I didn't text him back. Should I? As I said, we're playing this to my brother Lewis and his brothers. And uh, there's so many people in here today who help other people. And um, so we're playing this for them. Bodily autonomy is a person's right to make decisions over their own bodies and futures. Statistically, children are better off when they are allowed to take the lead in exploring and expressing their gender identity. And that is exactly what we are going to allow our child to do. We will not begin puberty blockers on our child until they ask us to do so because we don't want to instill the idea that they should be ashamed, unhappy, or uncomfortable with their body. But if they are, they will always be allowed to start the process of gender-affirming medical care. 
We get asked very often, how do we dress our gender-neutral baby? As adults, that is how we predominantly identify the gender of one another, but the answer is really quite simple. So there's a lot of misinformation about how we dress Monty, most of which says that we don't allow them to wear pink or blue. Some parents who raise their kids gender neutral slash creative don't dress their kids in quote boys or girl clothes, but we actually do. We dress them in absolutely anything and everything except items with gender terms such as little princess or little man. Okay, everyone's really confused, so I'm gonna explain this. I am non-binary and I call myself bi and gay and queer. Those are all terms I use for myself. I say bi to like help people understand that I'm interested in like all people, like people that have the same gender as myself and people who have a different gender as myself. Um, but no matter who I'm dating, I'm always gay because I'm not cis and I'm not a boy or a girl. So it's gay. Does that help? <laughs> like I, I typically almost like exclusively go for other trans people. Um, so like the fact that my boyfriend is trans, like we're, we call each other boyfriends. Like I'm his boyfriend too. He's my boy, we're boyfriends. So I'm gay and bi and queer. That's like the same for me. As a queer teacher, the passing of the Don't Say Gay bill in Florida has been extremely distressing for me. Um, not only for myself um, as a young professional, but also for my students, uh, many of whom are queer or LGBT, um, identified as LGBT. And a couple of small steps that I have taken that I think other people might appreciate as well is um, I... I have made sure that my subtle voice is heard. So um, as you can see, I have a shirt on that says, this is how I use my teacher voice. It's from Miss Frazzled. Uh, if you don't follow her, she's great. But um, I use this to show kids subtly, hey, I'm here for you. Like I, I'm all about supporting you. I also have a pride flag in my classroom and I know that's not safe for everybody um, to have right now, but you could also put like a small sticker up. Um, you could also just like subtly um, have rainbows on your desk, all of that stuff. So just subtly letting kids know, hey, I'm queer too, or hey, I'm an owl. Yeah, that's her whiteness. That thing that you just can't put your finger on that Kate has that Megan doesn't, you're talking about her white skin. Sometimes commenters will dress this up as Kate has class, Megan doesn't, or Kate is genuine and Megan isn't. But we didn't all sit down and have a conversation with Megan and then with Kate and collectively come to that conclusion. No, we are parroting things that are relayed to us by the press. And for the press, this comment has always meant Kate looks like what I think a princess should look like and Megan doesn't. I'm not saying that commenting things like this makes you a racist, but comments like this are rooted in racism. That's all. Almost all mass shooters are cisgender men and for some reason we don't really talk about men being the primary problem. Can we please blame the patriarchy and not blame mental health? People with mental illness are far more likely to be the victims, not the shooter. Remember, pinning everything on mental health is also a good way to distract you from focusing on the problem of gun ownership. And you know it's a distraction because the people in power who blame mental health don't give a shit about improving access to mental health care. They want you to think that all the shooters are crazy so that they can justify having all their guns. Whatever. I'm not saying anything you don't already know. This is fucking stupid and horrifying.
can be used as a singular pronoun too. Like if you said, I'm going to see my friend, I can ask, where do they live? Since I don't know your friend's gender identity. And some individuals prefer they as a pronoun. Like me or Bob, they are my best friend. It was just an example. Finally. We're back with Grammy-winning singer Macy Gray. She came onto the music scene more than two decades ago, and now Macy's getting ready to drop her latest album. It is called The Reset. She is going to be performing one of the songs off that album in just a few minutes. Macy, yes. uh, it's good to see you. Um, I've actually felt like I've seen a lot of you in the past few days recently. Yeah. You were on the Piers Morgan show, and there was a question about trans women. Yes. And this was what you said in part. As a woman, just because you go change your parts doesn't make you a woman. If you want me to call you a her, I will, because that's what you want, but that doesn't make you a woman. Just because I call you a her, just because you've got a surgery, you can call yourself whatever you want. There was a wave of, of backlash that right. came as a result. Um, right. Just tell me where you are right now on that statement. Well, uh, I never, of course, never meant to hurt anybody with, with uh, what I said. I'm a I'm actually a huge, uh, I think it takes a lot of courage to be yourself, to, to, to go out in the world and be honest about who you are. And uh, so I think anyone who is uh, in the LGBT community is a hero and, and sets an example for all of us with that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I said some things uh, that, that uh, didn't go over well. But um, my intention was never to, to hurt anybody. I feel bad uh, that I did hurt some people. And, and I think it's, it's um, you know, just about education. It's about conversation and, and us getting to a point where we understand each other. And, and, um, and, and that, that only happens with, you know, I've, I've learned a lot through this. Mm -hmm. So I think that that was one of the reasons uh, it might have happened. Just it was a, a huge learning experience for me, and and uh, and I, I just have a compassion for for you know what I, I think you 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 can like I said in there you can call yourself what like you you whoever you believe you are, mm -hmm. and and no one can dictate that for you or take that away from you. You know. Mm -hmm. I think life is an education process. The more you sit yeah. with people, the more you talk to people, it changes your perspective. So has, has your perspective changed, do you feel? I've, I've learned so much and I, and I think, um, you know, being a woman is a vibe and it's something mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very proud of. And it's, it's very precious to me. And, and I, I think that if you, in your heart, feel that that's what you are, then that's what you are, regardless of what anybody says mm -hmm. or thinks, you know okay. what I'm saying? Okay. So, um, but yeah, I've, I've, I've learned a lot, absolutely. Right. And I'm glad I did, because well, now I know. Well, thank you for clearing that up, because I think people got confused, yeah. and people sometimes you realize. In there, you see, of course, the, it was like a whole day, I'm sorry, it was 24 hours they took to actually get their cars charged. You see all the pronouns, you see the theatrics, you see babies, you see Coldplay. Coldplay, and then you end with Macy Gray having to do the walk of shame. I'm so sorry. I, I'm just wrong. But there was hope this week. Look what happened in New York for kid vaccination site. Shut it down! 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 Shut it
Maybe they're waking up. And of course I have this beautiful picture. That is a cabinet member. He was into furries. He defended child pornography in a male fucking escort service. It's not about what you know or if you even qualified. It's about checking them blocks. And that's the fear with Democrats. It's always about checking boxes. It is all about living in the digital world. And in the digital world, all their policies are amazing. And they have 90% support. Because Twitter and Facebook's 90% Democrat. Woke Democrat. They see the mobs and they believe that's America. That's who we are. That's why once again in November, we have to vote these motherfuckers out. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Sorry, it's low energy. Just feel like shit. We're going to go for a Wednesday show, which will be the 13th. Hopefully by then I'll have some kind of diagnosis. That would be kind of nice. Go to foppodcast.com. Share this with family and friends, folks. Y'all take care. Be safe. And I'll talk to you Wednesday.